0: Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian
1: Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger, the Canadian Investor Podcast. How we doing? My name is Braden Dennis, as always, joined by Simon Belanger. We made it. We made it, Simon. Give yourself a pat on the back. This is our 2022 bold predictions for the year and sam you texted me and you're like i have to go more bold and i agree because you somehow keep coming out with these outlandish claims and they're coming true (laughs) Uh, is there some sort of crystal ball or future telling technique that you'd like to share with the listeners
2: no, I just kind of, I tried to just go really bold and a lot of them, like last year, uh, Tesla reaching one trailer, I didn't really believe it would and obviously it did, so uh, <laughs> yeah. I think I went even bolder this year, so you'll see we we're texting about it and uh, I went, one of them went very specific, so it's
1: going to be, I'm going to look like a genius and if not, it was just a bold prediction. That's right, like you can't look bad because it's like, I don't believe this is going to happen anyways, but if it does happen... Then you know, time stamp it, blast it everywhere, and then you're famous. I, I like the I like the technique. All right, let's get into uh our bold predictions for the year. I don't I don't think my first one's that overly bold, but I think it's an important step here in Canada. And I I do think that it's going to happen, and I'm interested in your take. But before we do that, I just remembered, uh before we do that, Spotify listeners, do us a huge favor. Five stars on the podcast. Go ahead and smash that. It is a new feature for Spotify. And we want to be at the forefront of it on that ratings mechanism because it's going to be important for people finding our podcast organically. And if you're not uh, on Spotify, you're on one of the other players, go ahead and and leave a review. Five stars. We appreciate you very much. It helps other people find the podcast in a way uh, more than you could ever understand. So we really appreciate you. Okay, so my first one... Is that I believe most, if not all, brokerages next year are going to move to zero dollar commissions. I think that it's it's going to happen. Whether it happens, my I guess what I think is boldly going to happen is that they all happen at once. It like it, it we already saw it with National, and we think I think I'm curious on your take. Is that we're going to see what happened in the US where it was like they all domino effect went to zero dollar commissions because they're realizing that they can still be pretty decent business even at free trades.
2: Yeah, no, I think it's actually a fairly bold prediction just because a national bank, I think, when was it in the summer that they went? uh, Yeah. Zero commission and I would have thought by now that there'd be a, at at least a few other brokerages that would have followed suit. Um so that's why I'm like I don't know anymore if they're gonna follow suit or not, but uh I think it's a it's a pretty bold prediction. And let's keep in mind too, they still make money with options trading. So that's how that's they, right. they do make quite a bit of money there. Um so yeah, I think I think it's fairly bold. Yeah.
1: Okay, fair enough. Cause you and I you and I use Quest Trade. I've been with them for a quite a few years and so have you. I I do enjoy the platform compared to many of the other ones and especially compared to the many of the free ones. And um you know the the fact of the matter is is that it's not the only thing that ne- that you need to consider when picking a brokerage. It's not like I'm going with zero fees because there are so many limitations in the free ones. What's Quest Trade? What four ninety five, um, for yeah. a standard trade? Unless you're buying penny stocks, it's more because you could do like tons of shares, and ETFs are free to buy. They they sponsor this podcast. Full disclosure, um, but we've been using it for a long time. So I, I do think still though broadly that that is an important step and will happen, and I think the dominoes are all going to collapse at once.
2: Yeah, no, that's, uh, I think that's a good bold prediction. I think it also has a decent uh, probability of happening as well my first bold prediction i do not think there's a high probability of happening so full disclosure but i'm gonna go super bold on this one toast will acquire lightspeed commerce and become a force in the point of sales software um, toast is focused almost solely on the restaurant industry as far as i can see and lightspeed is just entering that market lightspeed on on their end would allow toast to get into the retail and hospitality markets toast is also pretty much exclusively in the u.s they have like just a small small percentage elsewhere and that would allow them to expand elsewhere including canada just to put a few numbers here so people get a perspective these are all usd numbers because lightspeed reports in usd they're also traded in canada and the us or the dual listed so lightspeed currently has a market cap of around 6 billion 6.2 billion last i checked and toast has a market cap of 19 billion lightspeed is looking at revenues for the full year around 525 million all of this, again, is in USD. Toast, on the other hand, had revenues of $486 million just for the last quarter alone. So clearly, Toast, much higher sales than Lightspeed. And I think I took these two names just because it feels like they would complement each other quite well in terms of what they're focusing on. But I also did that because Lightspeed market cap has, I think, gone down by about, what, like 60 70% since the peak. So it Huge could definitely drawdown. be... Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they would. There would be some interest in acquiring them. It might not be toast specifically, and of course, there's Dax de da Silva who owns about ten percent, I think, in terms of the shares. So he probably would not be thrilled to uh, you know get acquired. But again, if you have enough shareholders that that like the offer, it could always happen.
1: I like it because it's extremely bold. The the th- the thing is Dax right like I just don't see I, I think Dax has his eyes on a on a very big prize and so you know looking at these numbers Lightspeed is in a huge drawdown like how much in this podcast did we talk about it before and it was like closer to eyeing twenty billion in market cap than it was ten and uh, now it's you know USD listing of six and a bit in market cap. Uh, six and a bit billion in market cap. So, I, I this brings me to another point, which I think that it's oversold for sure. Given their growth rates, we do have their our hesitancies about, and we've been very vocal about our hesitancies. That being said, six point two billion in market cap on USD for Lightspeed looks pretty cheap. Um, just as a just as a surface level thing here. You know
2: why? Why not a company coming in and just make a like give a huge premium because they see just a like lot hey of we'll buy it for ten
1: yeah. we'll buy it for twelve yeah
2: or give a you know that's why I'm saying like they obviously they would have to be blown out of the water for the offer but uh, you know we'll see maybe and like I said it's very bold if I'm wrong it's all good and if I'm <laughs> right I'll look like a genius.
1: <laughs> you you can't lose here. That's uh that's very smart. All right, my bold prediction. Although the writing seems to be on the freaking wall, so I don't know how bold it is, but I it is it is realistically very bold because the, predict, the probability of it actually happening is very low. I think Arc Genomics Revolution ETF (ARC G) can blow up in 2022. I think that it can legitimately blow up, and they can't run the the, the ETF operationally. They're going to be I actually already know they're having problems running the fund operationally. Not that I have experience running an ETF, however, I know how illiquid the stocks they own are. Now, I pulled this from uh, the Bear Cave newsletter. It's done by a guy named Edwin. He he has a, a Substack, and he's pretty pretty he's pretty smart for a young guy. He likes exposing frauds and stuff, and so he has a, a post here on on uh, Ark's Holdings and. I'm going to go through a couple of them and explain why this is problematic. Okay, so those who are from not familiar with Arc Genomics Revolution ETF, ARCG, it's run by Arc the the company and headed up by Kathy Woods. Now, Kathy has a number of ETFs and she's very very smart. This is not a knock on her investing style or etfs or anything it's more so that they had so much fund flows last year and now it's in this gigantic drawdown that when you hold very very illiquid small cap genomic stock and you have to sell them who's buying them who's the buyer of these illiquid stocks If I look at it, these are old numbers from earlier in 2021 from the Bear Cave newsletter, but here's just an idea. Compugen, ticker CGEN, they had 21.3 percent ownership of the company. Here's a list on our doc here, Simon, of 14 companies earlier in the year that they had more than 10% ownership of inside the ETF. And no wonder... I mean, if we look at uh, Cirrus here, or um, these companies I've never heard of, it's like $300 in market cap, yet you have this gigantic behemoth ETF that has a really powerful marketing engine and people continuing to buy this ETF. It's really hard to run this fund. So they have this wildly illiquid speculative biotech companies inside. Now, some of them are just a few hundred million in market cap. So like pretty small companies for for public markets, pretty small. And the ETF is down a lot off the highs. And this creates some interesting feedback loops as I was speaking to before on drawdowns when you're holding highly illiquid funds. Now, I'm hoping I'm not right, okay? Because I'm not hoping for destruction of retail investors because I believe that it was that is who is primarily buying these funds, but they did nothing but go up in 2020, and like they have had some clever headline-making type marketing with outlandish claims. Now, Kathy Wood is coming out and saying that they expect a 40 percent compounded annual growth rate on their flagship Ark Innovation Fund over the next five years. I refuse. I'm sorry, but I refuse to trust anyone. At all, who is guiding for forty percent compound annual growth (CAGR) on their investment performance? It's highly irresponsible, and this fuels my thesis that they seriously need fund flows. They're trying desperately to get fund flows because the drawdowns on this fund is extremely hard to manage operationally. I've, like I said, I've never run this fund, but I know how illiquid these names are, and they hold a big percentage of ownership. And so they've had all these nothing but up and positive fund flows. And now it looks like stuff's hitting the fan. And promising 40% CAGR is really reckless. And that doesn't sit well with me at all.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a bold prediction. It'll be interesting if it happens. And yeah, there's always a risk when you own such a big portion of a company. Because even if the company is fairly liquid, well, you're such a large owner that if you want to start unloading you have to do it very gradually and you'll probably, even by doing so gradually, you'll still put some price pressure downwards, right? So it's kind of a self-fulfilling thing. So that's always something to be careful. Um, as, a, as a retail investor, it's not as problematic, but there are some very illiquid stocks as well that you could just be a retail investor in. But uh, no, that's a, that's definitely a good one. It'll be interesting. Uh, we've said it, I've said it before. I love like hearing Kathy Woods talk, but I don't, you know, sometimes I do agree with her, but sometimes I find there's some real flaws in what she says. And definitely that 40% is uh, is a bit questionable. Let's just let's just put it that
1: way. I think it's irresponsible personally, um, but that's just my opinion. And this goes, this just goes to show that a fund of that size shouldn't be running such a small cap strategy it just it it doesn't it doesn't work it doesn't make sense and this is exactly why large fund managers have always said you know i would kill to just be you know managing 10 million in assets i would kill for that because i'd be completely unconstrained and so um i think that's that's important all right let's move on
2: yeah so my next one this one's also i think very bold the uh, CPP investment board will invest 2.5 billion in bitcoin as institutional investment in bitcoin accelerate in 2022. So my thesis that we will continue to see institution investing in Bitcoin in 2022 and CPP investment board will make headlines by investing 2.5 billion CPP investment board obviously are the ones that do the investment for the Canada pension plan. It might sound like a lot, but as of May 20th, 2021, the investment board had 497 billion of assets under management, or AUM. An investment of 2.5 billion Bitcoin represents about 0.5% of their AUM, and that's why I chose that 2.5 billion. The latest data i could find is that institutions own about eight percent of the total current supply of bitcoin which represents about 75 to 80 billion that's usd based on the current market cap of 930 billion of bitcoin as like as we can see the vast majority is still not owned by institution and major in and a major investment by a pension fund as large as cpp because cpp is a major inv- uh, pension plan in the f- in the world would be an extremely bullish sign uh, for bitcoin and if we do see something like that um I'll make another mini bold prediction within it we'll see 150k bitcoin price usd in 2022
1: you heard it here first i have no i have no comment <laughs> to add there you heard it here first all right um my my last one here on the slate third and last one is that I think Amazon is going to be the best-performing megatech of 2022. And the reason for that, the reason that I think that, is the fact that, look, Amazon stock has done nothing this year. It has basically been a sine wave and returned to what it started at. And there's lots of negative sentiment right now. You know, investors are, are memeing them going, oh, it must be day two now because Jeff Bezos isn't there anymore. We've seen tons of outages on Amazon Web Services, which is obviously not ideal. And when it was with Jeff Bezos, it was day one. That was his thing. He says it's always day one. And so that was kind of their innovation mindset. Now people are saying it's day two. Doubting Amazon is a stupid idea. They are going. They're building out the infrastructure that is going to give them supreme competitive advantages moving forward. And I think that it uh, it actually is quite cheap there on a sum of part, parts analysis. And I think that it's going to lap Megatech next year. Although I am a very large shareholder in, in Google uh, in terms of my weighting of my portfolio, I think it's the best company on the planet. I do think Amazon's set up for a really nice twenty twenty two.
2: No, that's uh, that's a good breakdown and your timing was perfect because my dog just started barking and then as soon as you were done, the dog was done barking. So uh, no, I, I do agree with you. Um, I think Amazon has not performed well, but I think I'll be a happy shareholder if they do uh, perform well because uh, it's been uh, pretty much zero returns for me <laughs> since I've owned it.
1: When did you buy Amazon shares?
2: Uh, earlier this year. Okay. Yeah, so that okay. kind of gives you an idea. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, no it's done it's done basically nothing and then there's there's not there's lots of negative sentiment on it right now across the board that I'm seeing anyways especially with AWS being down like three times in the past month. Now don't get me wrong that's not a good look. Like I'm not no, saying that not. that's bullish for AWS and it's bad for, for AWS. That being said, um they're going to they're still going to post ridiculous growth numbers, I think.
2: Yeah, I think so too. I think it's just a bump, a blip on the radar and it should I think it's a great company to own for a long period of time and that hasn't changed my mind. That's why I still own it. Um so now my final bold prediction, the S&P TSX will outperform the S&P 500 by more than 10% with oil and gas leading the way. So we all know that the oil and gas sector rebounded nicely this year compared to the lows that we saw in 2020 for obvious reasons in 2020 there was a huge reduction in demand and i think that that you know positive sentiment but also good results will continue in 2022 for the oil and gas industry for context the etf xeg that's traded on the tsx is the iShares and ptsx cap energy Index ETF has returned more than 70% this year versus 25% for the S&P 500 and 20% for the S&P TSX. So I think oil and gas will continue to outperform in 22, with economies continuing to reopen and COVID-19 restrictions are lifted sooner than expected therefore increasing demand for oil and gas. The outperformance of the S&P TSX won't be solely because of oil and gas. It will be because the mega cap tech stocks will not perform as well, which we've talked about a lot before. The S&P 500 is market cap weighted, so if they do not perform well, it will lead the S&P 500's return downwards. So that's my thesis. That's my bold prediction. For those reason, I think the S and TSX will do something it rarely does and outperform the S and P five hundred by at least ten percent.
1: It's bold, um, and the the last part of it, you said, for those reasons, and I feel like uh, I'm on TV when I say, and for those reasons, I'm out because I think big tech. Every time you think, every time you think big tech isn't gonna beat the index. It's like, oh, nope, they did it again. Oh, they did it again. And then it's like, oh, wait, they are the index. Thank God they're the index, or else the rest would be in a huge drawdown. That's why it's it's bold, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, that's why it's bold. Um, And you know what? I back it because you you really, we're, we're running some real only upside predictions here because. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and
2: keep in mind if this comes true it's not great for my portfolio so that's just keep that in mind cuz i don't basically don't hedging, own any oil and gas yeah
1: you're hedging your uh your own financial well-being for the fact that you know you you were right on the podcast and that's that's just smart that's just smart management right there <laughs> okay guys uh so for the second part of this episode we have simo interviewing courtney from can i call him like from the tiger cats
2: yeah how yeah, do, I, how for do the I say tiger, that yeah he works so courtney cats? uh works for the tiger cats right now he's a former cfl player uh now he works um and I would say, as a community, um, I think uh, community relationship, manager. yeah, community relationship manager, if I remember correctly. And Courtney, my apologies if I I butchered your title here, uh, but yeah, it was a great interview with Courtney. And I've had a lot of questions from people just to wanting to get started in Bitcoin. And we essentially we talk about that to help people getting started, just the basics. Um, and it was a really fun discussion that I had in uh, early December with Courtney, just before. The Grey Cup, and unfortunately, oh, yeah. the Tiger Cats did not win. I'm not a big CFL fan in general, so because I know Courtney, I was cheering for the Tiger Cats, um, but unfortunately, they did not win in heartbreaking fashion. Uh, especially that was a good game. though.
1: I, 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 like you know I'm an NFL yeah. fan, mm-hmm. and that was a good game. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of three down football personally, but hey, you know what? Uh, the CFL put on a good show, and it was it was a good game.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I hope you guys enjoy the discussion that's coming up with Courtney and, uh, and the best wishes for the new year because uh, this episode will be released uh, just at the beginning of 2022. So for anyone wanting to get started on uh, Bitcoin, then uh, just listen to the great discussion I had with Courtney.
1: All right. Take it away, guys.
2: Welcome back to the Canadian Investor Podcast. I'm here with Courtney Stephen, uh, our guest that we had a few months ago. I had a great interview with Courtney, and I do invite you to uh, listen to that uh, recording, that podcast, if uh, you haven't had the chance to. Courtney, how's it going? It's been a little bit. I know there's been a lot of stuff uh, going on in your world.
0: Man, it's, it's been a busy time, but super glad to be here. appreciate you having me back.
2: Yeah, exactly. I'm glad to have you back. And we'll focus a little bit more on Bitcoin than we did last not last time. I know we probably wish we had, uh, what, half an hour, an hour more than we did just to continue talking about Bitcoin. Um, and if people want to know a bit more about you before we get started, where can they uh, follow you? I know you're pretty, um, pretty active on Twitter.
0: Yeah, I'd say social media, specifically Twitter, is the best place. And it could branch out from there. My handle is the C Stephen S T E P H E N, but um, yeah, man, just just a guy. I used to play pro football and now I work in pro sports, but I always had a passion for finance. So glad to be here. Uh, get to talk about my passion.
2: Awesome, yeah, glad to have you here. So now let's get started. It's a question I do get um, asked a lot on Twitter. Uh, people will reach out to us on our website. Um, people want to know more and more. They ask me simon how can i get started and invest in bitcoin so do you want to just kind of just the basics and just let people know some easy ways to get started just making sense of it i know it can be really overwhelming for people just at first glance is very different than a traditional investing account so i'll kind of let you just uh, walk people through just make them a bit more comfortable on getting started in bitcoin specifically
0: yeah. And I mean, that's a great question because so many people hear the headlines and they see things that are going on in the news. And really with Bitcoin, it's one of those things where if your head isn't fully wrapped around what it is, then you can get shaken off the bandwagon pretty quickly with the volatility, the the ups and the downs of the price action. So one of the first things I suggest people do, aside from actually buying Bitcoin, is to do some research on not just surface level things like, uh, you know, what is Bitcoin, but more so why is Bitcoin, I think is a great question. And understanding the purpose that it serves, especially in a world where, you know, the Web3 or the cryptocurrency world and the decentralized world is there's a lot of buzzwords going around. There's so many different tokens. There's so many different things. NFTs, DeFi, a bunch of phrases and and, and verbiage for people to try and digest I think it's important to go back to the grandfather of it all and understand why was Bitcoin first invented? And then you can understand why Bitcoin is different than every other asset that is in the digital space. That's one of the main things you should do in the beginning before you ever stack your first sats. And now when I say stack your first sats, you might be thinking, I thought we were talking about Bitcoin. But if you're on this learning journey, the first thing that you'll know is Bitcoin Just like a dollar is divisible into a hundred cents, one Bitcoin is divisible into 100 million Satoshis. The smallest unit of a Bitcoin is called a Satoshi and you don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. I think that's one of the things that deters many people from buying into this asset class is that they feel they've already missed the boat and they feel that it's already way too expensive, but you don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin and and getting past that hurdle and understanding what a Satoshi is, is one of the first things that I suggest everybody um, try to dive into and learn. And a second thing that I would also suggest on that same train of thought is understanding the difference between price and market capitalization because there's a phenomenon called unit bias is something that tricks a lot of new investors into thinking they're getting a deal when actually they're maybe investing into something that has a little bit more risk involved in it than they anticipated simply because the price looks more attractive. And so the difference between the price of an asset and the market capitalization is the price is how much each unit of that asset costs. So whether we're talking about shares of Apple Say they're somewhere around one hundred and fifty dollars US. I'm not sure exactly. I didn't look at it today. Um, <laughs> Probably
2: around there, I would say, Avin. Uh, so I used to be more uh, ADD on that, but I'm so busy now, I don't check the price. It's but
0: be- it's either because you're busy or because you're becoming a better long-term investor. <laughs> yeah. That's
2: that's what I like to think.
0: But you know, the price is the cost of an individual unit. So one share or um, you could call it one Bitcoin or one ether, one unit of cryptocurrency. The price is how much it costs to get one whole unit. Okay. The market capitalization is the total value of all units that are in the market. So of all of the Bitcoin that is out there in the world that anybody has or could buy, the total market capitalization is somewhere just North of $1 trillion. Okay, so when we're measuring how expensive or how cheap an asset is, we need to be looking at the market capitalization. So if you're comparing Apple to um, you know, a stock that just debuted on the stock exchange, or maybe it's on the TSX Venture Exchange where we have very small companies, the prices may only be a 100, $100 difference or $50 difference, but the market capitalization would be billions of dollars if not trillions of dollars difference, because Apple has a market capitalization north of $2 trillion. So um Bitcoin, it's it's got a market cap of one point something trillion. Ethereum is about half a trillion. Some of these other cryptocurrencies, they may have a price that's in the sense, but for them to get to one cent, the market capitalization would have to become something outrageous, like $10 trillion. So we have to understand what are we actually looking at to determine the value of this asset we're buying? Those are kind of the basics that I would suggest people look into when they're starting to understand Bitcoin.
2: Um, yeah, I love that you mentioned that because uh, I keep seeing if you just, you know, type in on twitter hashtag shiba or whatever it is you know i'm sure you're aware of shiba inu that uh uh, dare i say it that shit coin um the doggy coin. yeah the doggy (laughs) coin and i'll see people constantly saying well you know it only needs to get to a dollar and i'll be i'll be super rich but then they failed to check that there is what one quadrillion if i remember correctly in circulation so some simple math you know doesn't quite line up if it reaches a dollar I think it's pretty unlikely that, uh, actually, I would say it's almost impossible that it will all ever reach that point. And I like that you touched on that because people don't take the time to look at the market cap just to make sense whether it's worth it or not. And then they look at the price of a single Bitcoin and they get discouraged. So I think that was a great point. Do you have uh, certain exchanges that you would recommend for people if they want to buy Bitcoin to get started?
0: Well, I definitely would suggest going with one that is, you know, FinTrack certified. Um, that's the agency that makes sure that people are not uh, laundering money through the accounts that they have. And so you want to go with a bigger brand name broker uh, because they're going to have more credibility. Also, you're going to want to look for how do they secure the assets. So Coinbase, Gemini, these are American uh, companies, but they do business internationally. And the reason why they're able to have such a large footprint is because they secure and custody those assets in a way that is very professional um, and it's in cold storage somewhere. So your account is not really readily accessible for somebody to come in and snatch up your your crypto or your Bitcoin. In Canada here, we have some popular ones like ShakePay, um, CoinBerry, Coin Square, there's a there's a number of them, but I would just suggest whatever you do, try to stick with the ones that seem to have quick um, help when you call for support. I like to use ShakePay personally. They only have Bitcoin and Ethereum, and Same for, for what I'm yeah. trying, what yeah. I'm trying to do, it's it's more than enough. And also, there's a great gamification that they have there and it helps people kind of break into the Bitcoin spaces. Every day you can open the app and you literally shake it a little bit and they give you a few Satoshis. You might get 100 Satoshis or 150 Satoshis, which might only be worth about 10 cents or 20 cents, but then having that little amount of Bitcoin in your wallet there, your digital wallet, it brings your attention to the price action of Bitcoin and it piques your curiosity and it makes you you know, a little bit more curious because now you have skin in the game. And so it takes down some of those barriers to entry where people feel like they need to have $10,000 in order to be involved in this next generation of this new monetary wave that we're really in the middle of, believe it or not.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. Actually, I learned something. I didn't know you could shake it. <laughs> <laughs> and get that's
0: why they call it shaking okay
2: that's good to know i mean i've been using it for years too i never never knew that i i mainly used it because i thought it was great that they had interact transfers at a, an option so that's the main reason i i got started with them never had any issues but um, you did mention cold storage i know what it is but i know a lot of our listeners are might not be familiar so on a, that's a good segue to Um, just I'd like you to talk about the do's and don'ts in terms of keeping your crypto safe. Should people keep it on exchange? Should they use cold storage? Should they use multi-sig? Like, do you have uh, a preference of all these three?
0: So there's definitely a learning curve with Bitcoin security. And I would suggest that while you're still learning, the best thing to do is to keep it on an exchange because you can call tech support. And one thing with, I think it's a gift and a curse in a decentralized world where you truly have, you know, final, you can control final settlement of an asset with no intermediary as something we've never been able to do before cryptocurrency. And that's what Bitcoin allows you to do. I can send value to you without anyone in between. You truly have it in your possession and in your control and no one else can confiscate it. But before you get to that level, you have to realize that that type of ownership comes with a different type of accountability because if you lose the means to access those funds you can't call on anybody to help you so while you're still warming up and you're still learning all about you know wallet security how to do a transaction properly and you ha- and if you had a chance to do it a few times to get familiar and comfortable with it i would keep my bitcoin on the exchange because that way If you do have some kind of mishap, you can call somebody to get help and support. So at first I would buy and I would keep it on, you know, ShakePay. I would keep it on Coinbase. Eventually though, best practice is to take it out and have it in your own custody because there's a number of reasons. Maybe one day the exchange could get shut down in your jurisdiction. And that's something we saw here in Ontario where I'm at. Um, Binance, a very popular exchange internationally, was decommissioned in Ontario during the summer of 2021. They obviously gave people a little bit of runway to settle out their trades, um, divest, send things to other accounts, but you're still at the mercy of a central party if you're using what they call a centralized exchange. So you want to take your assets into your own custody once you have the the know-how and the capacity to do so. And then the second thing is there's different wallets that you can have. You can have a wallet that's on your computer, or on your phone, and they call that a hot wallet because it's connected to the Internet. It's considered hot or a software wallet. And those ones are great because it's in your custody. But because it's 24-7 plugged into the Internet, it's a little bit more vulnerable. The ideal place to keep your Bitcoin is on something called a cold wallet. And as you could imagine, that's a wallet that is not connected to the internet. And it's generally a physical device. It looks, it comes in many different shapes and sizes, but the popular ones, the treasure And the ledger, they look somewhat like a USB device and you can hold it in your hand. You can plug it into your computer and you can do transactions from your laptop or from your phone if you're using the ledger. And then you can unplug it and you have your crypto keys safe and sound in your hand.
2: Yeah, no, that's well put. I think uh, from a personal perspective, I would recommend and I don't know if you agree with that or not, but anyone who keeps money or crypto on an exchange Definitely make sure you have two-factor authentication, but not with your phone number, with an actual, like it could be a Google kind of, you know, key that creates that second factor, Um, the issue, right, with the the whole SIM swap uh, issue that can happen so people can pretend to be you call your ISP or sorry, your phone provider, and then essentially get your phone number onto to um, essentially access to their, uh, their phone and then be able to access your crypto eventually from there.
0: And there was some, I guess, exploits that happened similar to that on Coinbase earlier in 2021, where I think there was about 5,000 or 6,000 users whose two-factor authentication was compromised for that reason. People were able to Hack their email account. And if the two factor authentication was set up via email, they were able to, you know, recover the forget I forgot my password and then recover the password, get through the two factor authentication with the information they gathered from there, and then withdraw funds. So, luckily, that was a centralized exchange. They were able to make those people whole, but that's not really a problem you have to think about when you're dealing with um, self custody. And so, those are the number of reasons why you might want to keep crypto on yourself, keep the Bitcoin in cold storage. But I'll say one thing, when you take on the ownership of your own asset, you're going to want to know what is the seed phrase for this wallet that I have. And so you might be thinking, what is a seed phrase? The cool thing about Bitcoin and almost every cryptocurrency wallet, I'm pretty sure they use something that is called a mnemonic device. And what that does is it turns all these bits of data, a whole bunch of ones and zeros, into human readable words that you can string together to recreate the serial number that represents your wallet on the blockchain. So if you were to ever lose your physical device, instead of having to remember 2000, a series of 2048 ones and zeros, you could remember a set of words that represent those ones and zeros. It might be house, boy, bottle, bubble, chicken, ruby. There might be a list of 12 or 24 words and you put those words together in sequence and it will repopulate that wallet for you. It's pretty cool. And it sounds like at first glance, You know that doesn't sound too secure if i can just have a list of 12 or 24 words to uh, repopulate my wallet but the amount of difficulty it would take for somebody to randomly generate the same exact seed phrase from one wallet to the next with 24 different words each word in this list okay the first four letters of every single word that is in the list is called BIP39. You can look it up BIP as in Bitcoin Improvement Proposal 39. Every list, every word in the list of BIP39 seed phrase words, the first four letters are different. So the order of the words has to also be the same. If you were to pick the exact same list of 24 words as I did, that is similar to the probability of both of us reaching into the planet and grabbing the exact same atom.
2: That's uh, okay. That's pretty unlikely.
0: <laughs> exactly. So it's one of the most secure ways to actually hold an asset because if I lose my device, I can keep 24 words in my head. I can migrate over borders. I can go behind enemy lines. I can go anywhere. My house could, you know, be taken away from me. my it, I could leave it in a car. My car could get towed away and I can get a new wallet. I can enter that seed phrase, regenerate the keys to access all of my assets on the blockchain.
2: No, no. Well put. Then I think that helps a lot of people because that's one of the biggest things, right? People are not sure either how to get started, but what are the best ways to like store their Bitcoin? And I think that was a great overview. Now I want to move on uh, and talk a little bit about uh, your views on Bitcoin. Uh, Are you more bullish than you were when we last talked or are there some specific events that made you um, even more bullish than, uh, for example, inflation inflation data coming out recently? Uh, We're seeing CPI figures in the US and Canada and actually around the world going way, way up um or even the hash rates kind of coming back the global hash rates coming back to their pre-China mining ban levels like a, or am i missing something that's making you bullish aside from those two big events
0: man i think the thing that makes me very excited about bitcoin is the fact that there are very there is there's empirical data to support the growth and strength of the network there's more nodes coming online a node is a simple computer that runs a little piece of software called Bitcoin Core. And that little piece of software holds a replica, a replica of all the data back to the initial transaction on Bitcoin, right? I have one running at my house. There is over 13,000 Bitcoin nodes running at this this time right now. So in order to shut down the network, you would have to get rid of all 13,000 nodes at the same time. Otherwise, somebody who's still running a node can keep that ledger that distributed ledger of all transactions up and running. So the growth of that network is increasing. The growth of the lightning network running between those nodes is increasing. The lightning network is uh, instant settlement layer on top of Bitcoin that allows for a very small fraction of a dollar transactions to happen for almost free. So that network is growing and we have data to support that. Um, there has been a wider adoption of Publicly, people coming out and not necessarily everyday people like us, but uh, large, you know, whether it be hedge funds, whether it be our friends to the south in El Salvador who are buying Bitcoin, whether it be um, firefighter pension, the teachers of I think it's the Ontario teachers pension plan. They invest in some Bitcoin related companies. There's a lot of um investment, broad investment in the industry as a whole, not just specifically in the asset, but in miners, in asset managers, in uh, exchanges, just the whole infrastructure is continuing to grow. And I think that there's still people who are such heavy detractors of Bitcoin that it's apparent to me, it's not widely understood yet. So as we can see the network growing at a very exponential rate, and in contrast to that, there's still some very savvy finance people who just don't get it. To me, it means that this is a it's still a very asymmetric bet that you can make, um, just meaning a small investment still has the potential to yield an oversized return without risking a large amount of capital. And that's why I feel like for me, going through the summer of watching a, you know, darn near 40%, 50% decline from 60,000 down to 29,000 USD, and then back up through 60 to a new high of 69. I think going through that cycle has just uh, reassured me that this is something that's here to stay. And no matter what kind of turbulence happens, whether there's all the miners get shut down, there will be new miners who come online, whether it's legislation comes out to make it tough to you know, acquire Bitcoin in certain countries. Well, there'll be other countries that are more open to it. And I think Bitcoiners and I think the crypto economy in general, is a very um, creative group of people and they know how to rally together when it's time to innovate. And I think that the best years are really, they're still ahead of us.
2: No, and that's great. And I think, too, like you touched on it, right? It's the growing network of uh, the Bitcoin networks that's growing, growing. And I think with each day that passes, it becomes stronger and stronger. But, you know, for some people, it's still, you know, they'll be listening to this. And I think they'll still be either reluctant or might be afraid because it's still very different from what they they know they've grown up with. If someone wants to invest in Bitcoin without actually buying Bitcoin? Do you have some suggestions to get out, like exposure? I'm thinking here, whether it's public company, uh, we have some exchange-traded funds in Canada as well, Um, or are there other ways that you can get exposure to Bitcoin that uh, maybe I'm not even aware of?
0: Well, in Canada, we have one of those benefits that they don't have to the south, which is a spot Bitcoin ETF, I think there was a lot of news um, and a lot of hype around this futures ETF that was released in the U.S. And I think that was a top signal um, in November when we went up to, I think, 69,000 USD. That was around the launch of, I believe there were two or three different futures-based ETFs. Now, a futures contract is a derivative contract, and that means you are buying the right to get an asset at a certain price at a future date. So they t- traditionally use futures for commodities such as you know oil. You know, If you believe the price of oil is going to be going up a lot, well, you will buy it for a little bit more expensive right now, and you can claim it in a month instead of buying it for way more expensive when that month actually comes. So that's what a futures contract is. A futures contract is a cool way to get exposure, but I don't think it's an ideal way for people to get exposure. If it's all you have access to, maybe... But I would prefer people buy just actual Bitcoin compared to futures. Some other things that are more suitable that we have access to here in Canada, and I think some other places would be a spot Bitcoin ETF. And spot just means that the fund that is running that ETF, they actually have to go out and purchase bitcoin for all of the units of that etf that are sold in the open market and so you have a much more uh, direct correlation to actual price action of the underlying asset so you can buy an etf inside of a registered account and that way you don't have to deal with some of the headaches of um, the accounting and the taxes dealing with buys and sells of an asset that fluctuates in price 24 hours a day so buying inside of a registered account etfs are a great way to go and there was also a, a ETF launch this week, which is uh, we're recording early December. There's the purpose Bitcoin yield ETF, which is the ticker symbol BTCY on the TSX. And what that is, is a Bitcoin exposure ETF that runs a covered call strategy. And so for uh, newer investors who aren't, um, they don't know too much about option strategies. A covered call strategy is If I own shares of, you know, a stock, or if I own Bitcoin, I'm basically selling the right to somebody else so that they can buy this at a particular price. So a covered call strategy might be, I bought Bitcoin at $50,000, and I'm going to sell call options at $75,000. So somebody will pay a little bit of a premium thinking that Bitcoin is going to go way past 75 so that they have the right to buy it at 75 when the price later down the road might be 100. So that's all covered calls are. But the people running this option strategy are counting on the fact that Bitcoin won't go past the strike prices that they are selling those options at. That way they can collect that premium and they can give it back to investors as a yield on that investment while they still have exposure to Bitcoin. Again, this is cool. It's not the ideal way to get exposure because you'd rather have spot Bitcoin in that case. Two other things that you can invest in. My personal favorite way to get leveraged exposure to Bitcoin is through investing in public miners. So there is a number of miners and miner ETFs available on both the Canadian and the U.S. exchanges. Um, A company that I'm personally invested in is called Hut8. And their ticker symbol is HUT. Of course, this is not financial advice, no, no, but no. I'm just dis- <laughs> disclosing disclosing what my personal portfolio looks like, so everybody's aware. I'm not pumping my bags. No, anymore. I actually
2: reviewed them. Uh, I think it was last week. I'm trying to. I don't know. Everything just blurs together, but I was. I had. I had like uh, looked at them before, and I was honestly uh, pretty impressed. Uh, Jamie Liverton or Livin? am um, I sorry if I'm butchering her last name but I was you know
0: what's funny I felt like her name was French and I thought that you would have just nailed it off the bat
2: <laughs> I don't I, I know her first name is Jamie I don't remember her last name but I was really impressed with her I listened to a couple of conference calls and she was really great at explaining she was also very honest and saying you know you had analysts and it was actually funny I found analysts The knowledge about bitcoin um, was kind of all over the place so she actually had to explain sometimes to the analysts how it worked but uh, she was also straightforward when they asked her about certain things especially what she could and couldn't control Um, you know she straight up said you know there's certain things we just can't control you're asking me this question and there's way too many variables involved so i i you know i came out uh, doing that dive into hud hate uh, pretty impressed i'll be honest but i haven't looked at the others in this space so maybe maybe i reserve right. judgment based on that
0: right well i'd say personally i like hud 8 for a number of reasons one of which is that they're canadian and whenever you can invest in a solid canadian company i take it as you know putting capital back into the domestic market well you're not in um The primary market, you're not necessarily helping them expand. As the stock price appreciates in a public equity, the company uses that equity as capital to do certain things. So, um, whether it's the executives getting paid out in options, or whether they um, they raise capital because their equity value has increased so much, you're you're helping contribute to the growth of that company. If you believe in what they're doing and you want to support them, I guess that's a, a tangent. But one of the reasons I really like investing in mining is because the accounting models that the investing world uses, they don't fit on Bitcoin miners right now. And so I think you guys were talking about this. Oh yeah, And I know Bredo Capital is always about the cash flows, but these investments, you have to think of them as a Bitcoin mining company is like a new type of asset manager without the front facing um, customer service that you would have at you know, a galaxy digital, but a Bitcoin mining company would work with an asset manager and give them the assets that they can then make a yield on by loaning out to other people. So this is the the ways that Hut8 makes money. They raise money with equity. They also loan out their BTC and they get a yield on it. And then they also um, harvest other different types. They mine other different types of uh, cryptocurrency and they get a BTC rewards back from their mining pool that they're a part of. And so I think down the road, when the price of this appreciates, they will be able to start selling some of that Bitcoin because the price of the Bitcoin will have appreciated versus the debts that they have and uh, the cash flows that they need to operate the business to a substantial amount. And they won't have to peel off a large amount of their stack that they've saved up To keep the business operating one of the last types of businesses that i really like um of course there's exchanges and the first thing that might come to mind is coinbase which is ticker symbol c-o-i-n coin but another one other than exchanges is the asset managers and when you think of galaxy digital all of these companies together they all have an asset on their balance sheet which is bitcoin okay so the balance sheet is going to become more valuable the assets that they have are going to become more valuable. So in valuing that whole company, you're going to have to look at what do they have to do to grow that balance sheet? And I think that's the new way that the investors are going to have to look at these companies. Galaxy Digital, they do all kinds of financial services for institutions. They provide capital to high-frequency traders. They provide capital to Bitcoin miners who are trying to get up off the ground and they need a loan. They um, they have a trading desk. They provide... Um, services for OTC payments and, and transactions. So they do a lot of things that people like us may not interact with, but for an industry to grow and thrive, all of those different functions need to be alive and well. So you can look at the whole stack from the spot Bitcoin itself, where that's being mined, where that Bitcoin then goes into some type of custodian, where it's being distributed and sold and used by institutions down to being at the exchange level and investing in Coinbase and where it's going to retail. There's all different levels of the stack and you can invest pretty much all the way along that stack.
2: No, no, that's great. And uh, yeah, I saw that uh, Bitcoin ETF, the the yield ETF. And I'll just caution people, if you invest in an ETF, whether it's a Bitcoin ETF that has a covered call strategy or, you know, a covered call ETF with stocks, um, you're essentially limiting your upside right on by doing that, because then the ETF is forced to sell if um, the price increases beyond the price of the covered call. So keep that in mind, having the yield Probably protects you a bit against the downside, clearly, but we did some episodes on that and clearly ETFs that have a covered called strategy don't perform as well as those that don't. Um that's something I wanted to mention. But before we wrapped up, there was actually some big news today and yesterday, and I'm just uh I'm just gonna Put you on the spot a little bit, but I'm sure you've read about this. So uh, we saw Jack Dorsey saying that he was resigning from uh, Twitter yesterday. And uh, Braden and I were actually talking about that on the podcast. And I said, look, um, the way I see it and all the signs were pointing, I'm pretty sure Jack wants to focus on Square and Bitcoin more specifically. And then the news came out today that they're going to be changing the corporate name to Block. Um, they'll still keep the square app and the tbd and i think uh sorry i'm missing the other one yeah uh title uh, there you go but um so i just wanted uh, you to uh you know what do you think about the announcement and just your general thoughts about uh about jack dorsey uh before we wrap this up
0: i think jack dorsey is one of those founders where he's Made so much money that right now he can truly follow his passion. And I think the average person might say, well, anybody who's made hundreds of millions of dollars can obviously follow their passion. But, um, I haven't been in those shoes to be able to speak to what is enough. And I think. Oh, really? I thought look-
2: you were, uh, You had made a hundred, hundreds of millions. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Imagine, <laughs> uh, we'd be recording this on a private jet, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I like the idea of. Jack really going 100% all in on something that he's passionate about and something that he thinks is going to make a meaningful change in in the world that we live in. Because if you look at, I don't know if it was necessarily the official tagline, but something that they were saying on um, the block, dot, I think it's block.xyz I'm not sure what the website was, but if you look at it, they're saying that they want to um, increase the access to financial services all across the world. And whether that's through Square making it cheaper for people to get banking services because now they do have a banking license, whether it be... Um, you know, reducing the transaction fees that merchants have to pay because they're only running a small business. And if your margins are 5% to begin with at a restaurant, you're paying 2% to Visa, that's really cutting into what you can make or whether they're creating a decentralized exchange so that people in places where it's very tough to get um, access to something like Bitcoin, they can now go somewhere online and be paired up with a pair or a peer to trade with in a decentralized fashion. Like that's what TBD is working on, or whether it be title, um, trying to get financing for artists or allowing artists to find ways to do better record deals so that the creatives in this world, keep more of the economics of the products they produce. I think it's, it's cool to see somebody really doubling down on their passion. And I think because of that, he's going to be able to take these companies a lot higher and, and square dumped six percent on the news so it <laughs> so might be an oppor- it might be an opportunity to to add to your position if you have one
2: <laughs> i won't I won't tell you that my my average cost has just been it's been one of my better investments i'll say that yeah got it uh, about i think four or five years ago so that that can give you a good idea yeah nice i love it yeah but no this you know it's been great it's always been uh it's always a pleasure to have you on courtney hopefully we'll be able uh, to do that again i know you just mentioned uh when people will hear this it'll be passed but um you've got something big coming on next week Uh, do you want to tell people what it is i mean it'll be in the past at that point but still yeah
0: yeah. So um in my past life, I played pro football, like I said, but now I work in pro sports and um my team, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, were hosting the Grey Cup game. So it's a little bit busy in the town of Hamilton, Ontario. If you guys Happened to hear this after the game. Hopefully, you were cheering for the right squad. Um, and we'll see how it goes, man. But it should be a lot of fun. It's something that doesn't happen all the time. I'm looking forward to it.
2: Well, you know, best of luck to you and your team. Again, if uh, people want to follow you on Twitter, can you remind them what your, your handle is on there?
0: I am the C Steven. S-T-E-P-H-E-N. If you add me, I will reply. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much.
2: Well, it was great having you. Thanks again. And I'm sure we'll be doing this uh, soon enough. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Brayden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.